Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast, the podcast where we go through all of the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We also do TV shows. We did Cloak and Dagger season one, and I definitely wanted to talk about season two. So I got my brother, I got Raphael Canton in the house, NBA Trades, and we're going to talk to the showrunner of Cloak and Dagger, Joe Pekaski. And we're going to talk to him about the ending of season two, what we could look forward to in season three, and some of the ins and outs, some of the, the funny little details that go into writing a show like this. So I look forward to you guys listening, and here we go. Everything is good. Everything is good. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. Nice to talk to you guys. I have not heard the podcast, but I've definitely stalked you guys on Twitter. <laughs> that's good to know that's very good to know i'm a, a huge huge cloak and dagger fan so this is a this is an honor and a pleasure back at you all right so let, so let's so let's kick it off here because obviously the the season concluded with level up episode 10 um it had a very very it was a very good episode there was a lot that happened in it a lot of things changed for a lot of characters um i did want to get into the the last uh two minutes of the season because i think that's what everybody everybody's going to be wanting to talk about with tandy and tyrone leaving new orleans what went into that decision and what do you look forward to accomplishing in a potential season three um you know i think what we're doing concurrently is we're telling the story of coming of age and we're telling the hero's journey and both of those i think involve leaving the place you are safest and where you have defined yourself and redefining yourself and we thought it was time to put tandy and tyrone in another place so they could understand what was new orleans and what was part of them um only to do i imagine if you guys teach a cinematic university what the hero's journey does as well is eventually right. bring them back, bring them back a little changed. Oh, it's, yeah, it's definitely interesting for sure. Ralph, what you got? Okay. So in the first season, I felt like Tandy and Tyrone, uh, in terms of, the, in terms of their relationship, um, Tandy really helped Tyrone build confidence in himself. And then in this second season, it sort of ended with Tyrone helping Tandy build confidence in herself to take on despair um, in, the, in the final episode. Uh, was that something you planned in terms of that kind of relationship where they both have this kind of mutual respect and mutual uh, care for each other where they help each other through those tough times? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what great relationships and great friendships are all about. I imagine the same is true with you two guys. When, um, <laughs> well, we're you know, brothers, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. But even more importantly, right? It's like when, when, with my wife, for example, when one of us is down and angry, the other one kind of picks up the slack. And I think one of the beauties of the Tandy and Tyrone relationship is that they both think so highly of each other, even when they're down on themselves. So this, you know... This moment, we've, we didn't really plan it, but we found as we started writing it, it was kind of the mirror image of the moment from the finale last season, the year of Tyrone frickin' Johnson moment from yeah. 110, where Tandy gave him his cloak. And in this case, Tyrone said, here, Tandy frickin' Bowen, you're amazing. And they both <laughs> kind of lift each other up. And that's and I think that's what Cloak and Dagger do in the comics or in the television show. Yeah, I, I, I love, I, I just love the storytelling in the sense that 
you got the you got the first season of them trying to figure things out per se, and season two takes that even to a further extent, and them really finding their not only their voice but their place and and trying to be be a hero. Another another interesting thing from the season that I noticed, uh, in particularly in Blue Note, we got another Luke Cage reference. Last season we had mm-hmm. a couple of Luke Cage references. So are we going to see more? Are we like leading to any type of crossover? Maybe not with Luke Cage per se, but with some other characters in the Marvel TV universe. Um, it's interesting you ask that because I can't speak anything about about any of that stuff. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take your non-answer as a good answer. <laughs> Go ahead, Ralph. Uh, <laughs> um, so one of the things that interested me was in episode eight was there was the arcade game situation where uh, Tanti and Tyrone had to fight. And it reminded me of a video game, Spider-Man Maximum Carnage, uh, Super Nintendo, and a game in the 90s where Cloak and Dagger actually made their video game debut as characters that could assist Spider-Man, I think, um, and help him, you know, fight whoever he was fighting in, in the video game. What When you come up with ideas to sort of include certain certain pieces of, you know, whether it be video games or even when we look back at the album covers... Uh, that you used um, for Despair. How do you come up with ideas like that where you can sort of connect certain things from the past with today? I mean, I think part of it is just I will always love being able to play in genre storytelling because it allows you to use metaphors to tell real stories. I think it's when it's when television works best, I think. Um, so it's funny. A lot of people had mentioned Maximum Carnage, which I did not play as uh, growing up, but... Um, Turns out it was a lot of people's first exposure to Tandy and Tyrone, which I thought was interesting. Um, we looked at probably, you know, we wanted to tell the story in that case of Tyrone not wanting to deal with the real world. And we thought this day and age in particular, where you see kids buried in their iPads, that's a way to escape the real world. And then Tandy going in and, and kind of pulling them out. Um, it felt like we looked, we ended up looking at a bunch of video games, a bunch of things from the old school and it allowed us to, Weirdly, not only spelled despair in that weird, weird way, yeah. but to be able to kind of reframe the Tandy and Tyrone origin story from the comics, where we went right down to the radioactive heroin. This is very interesting. Uh, we, have, we have a very diverse writer's room. We have a very talented writer's room. And generally, if someone comes up with a wacky idea or something that's out there, we try to find a way that, that we can make sure we tell it in a way that connects emotionally, and then we usually run with it. Yeah, you guys do a really good job of that. And speaking of video games, can Aubrey Joseph defeat you in 2K? Uh, he thinks he can. That's what counts. <laughs> My job is to make sure he feels really good about himself. So I try to make sure he thinks he can defeat me in 2K, and that's how I keep him happy and, and, and really just playing a superhero on screen. If I really tried, I might not be able to get as much out of Tyrone as I could. <laughs> that's great stuff um the supernatural element is such a huge part of season two with the lower dimension and everything that goes on with uh Evita and andre and and auntie uh what were the challenges slash joys with putting that putting that together because i it, all of the stuff that you see with the in episode eight with the with the dancing and the and the music all of it it just feels like such a big part of new orleans uh what, what was like what was that like putting that together 
I mean, we wanted to do it right. It's it's that's the big thing. It's 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 a big swing we're taking. It's part of the reason why it's important to put together diverse ridership. Because you want yourself, you want to never want to put yourself in a position where you're guessing how someone will feel about something, or you're trying to appropriate someone else's culture without really talking <laughs> to people who, who have experienced it more than you have. And so, it's part of the reason we want to make sure that we have people, all sorts of representation, and that we're being respectful. It's why we talk to no less than three consultants when we do a Budon story, and. Um, but I think, you know, the feedback we got of watching Auntie Dance with the Ancestors was all positive, and it, it made me feel good that we took that chance and, and told that story and, and kind of showed a bit of something that I didn't quite understand coming into this and that hopefully the audience gets a little from and understanding it better. Yeah, absolutely. Ralph, well, anything else? Um, what was it like trying to develop Mayhem's character, especially with Bridget and sort of... Uh, the two sides uh, opposed against each other, very different characters, and sort of coming t- together and sort of finding that happy medium towards the end of the season. What was it like, sort of building building that up throughout this season? That uh, that juxtaposition of those two characters. I mean, it was a fun. It was one of the one of the more fun things I've ever done in my career. The idea we love the idea of starting off pretending it was a Jekyll and Hyde story, and then telling the story of two very separate characters. Um, let's be clear that we would not have been able to pull it off if Emma Lahana was not as talented as she is. Um, mm-hmm. not, you know, not only is she a, she a good actress, but she's a trained ballerina. And, you know, if you get a chance, you guys should talk to her about her process because it's really, it's really quite admirable. She's, she carries herself a little bit differently for each character. She really does her homework. She breaks down her scripts and she understands. By the time we got to episode eight, you could flip the switch and say now read this is Bridget in episode nine during the fight I remember we were picking up a shot and we had to have her switch from mayhem slowly to Bridget where she says anything she does it's on you and um she does it with such control and command of the character that it just became so much fun we threw we threw stuff at her that she shouldn't have been able to do and she trained in Krav Maga she carried herself differently she really dug into it and I think it became a pleasure to kind of throw more challenges at her because it wasn't whether or not she was going to tackle it or just how she would have tackled it, which was great. Yeah, she she got season two off to an explosive start. Uh, those those initial, that, that two-hour block that we got at the beginning was just a great way to kick off the season, and she was just such such a huge part of it. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of, of her character going forward now. Now, as far as Tandy and Tyrone, once we see that Vita has has to let go of Tyrone for a greater calling, I'm sure a lot of fans are going to be interested in seeing the Tyrone-Tandy relationship evolve, similar to the comics. There are so many tropes in past shows with the whole will-they-won't-they situation. How do you keep this one fresh going forward? Uh, I think the important thing was to define them as best friends first. And I think that's why this finale was the time to... Really, you know, it wasn't by accident that they were both sitting there calling out each other's virtues as they were fighting each other's battles. Um, listen, I think the uh, I don't think anyone cares more about the Tandy Tyrone relationship than me, and so that's why I'm happy yeah. the fans have allowed us 20 episodes before they even hold hands. So next season we will be telling a love story. Um, it's just how we tell it will be very cloak and dagger. 
Oh, I can't. <laughs> I really can't wait for that. Uh, Ralph, do you have anything else before I go into a last question or two? Okay, so I guess for me, my last question would be, um, you know, despair. I thought the the use of 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 album covers related to sort of you know him as a musician was really interesting. And uh, did you ever did you draw any inspiration from the album covers that were set in his world where he could go in and play the records and control people's emotions? Uh, were they ever inspired by any real life album covers? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I listen to vinyl because I'm an aging white man cliche, but I I think that was kind of that was, that was part of the um, that was part of the fun to be had. I think it's albums are these interesting little kind of time capsules where someone made a record they burned it into some place and, and we love the idea of it representing different different parts of your memory so we've we looked at i think my assistant at one point diane had put together a list of a couple hundred album covers that were just visually interesting and and some of them are just amazing when you go from pink floyd the wall to mia kala we, we looked at so many different albums and then our props department our art department our assistants our writers kind of all contribute as best they could to really make sure that the range of emotions we were representing were had a range of visual representations as well. Mm, very, very, very interesting and good stuff. And, and for me, there are two really underrated characters to me on this show that we didn't see a lot of this season, but when we did, as always, they, they really uh, light up the screen. Both uh, Adina Johnson, played by Gloria Rubin, and Father Delgado, played by Jamie Ceballos. Um, their storyline ended up being pretty hev heavy, and then towards the end, obviously, uh, with Connors' death at Adina's hand, and Father Delgado, as we see him in the finale, uh, looking like either he's headed back to Princeton or headed forward to something. What what can you tell us about what their futures are? Uh, I listen. I think obviously when you have someone like Gloria Rubin, you want to give her the ball. Um, so we were very happy to kind of give her a little meatier storylines than we were able to last year. Um, I think she's going. The beauty of her right now, unlike Tandy and Tyrone, almost all the time she won. She got everything she wanted. Yeah. But now she has to battle with herself, and we're very excited to explore that story. And then, in a weird way, as we start kind of arcing back towards some of the comic book lore, we thought it was interesting that we've gone two seasons with this priest without a church. What happens when he starts cleaning up? Where does it go from there? When we find him in season three, uh, is he a more traditional priest, and how is he dealing? How is his redemption story being told? So I think... You know, Jaime and, and Gloria do such an amazing job. We're increasingly excited about telling more stories with them. Definitely, look, definitely looking forward to it. And finally, from me, um, as far as writing this this uh, past episode, the finale, how did you feel going into it? What kind of goes into that writer's process, just to get an idea for the fans? I mean, the most important thing we all ask ourselves is what kind of finale would we want to watch? I think the best writers, and I try to emulate them, um, consider, the, consider what the audience feels. And I think what we wanted to do was, A, leave it on the ground, keep it personal, be bigger. Marvel was very nice. I told them I wanted to save up a few pennies and have a second unit. <laughs> they, um, they found some... They, they actually had some, some Daredevil stunt... Um, some stunt coordinators and some people who shot some daredevil fight sequences we brought in from New York 
to help us kind of really hit the ambition of this episode. So I think we want to be big, but we want to be intimate. And I think we, of course we, you know, it's always hard when you, when you lean on Aubrey and Olivia so much to ask them to do their most intense episodes at the end of the season. But, you know, they rose to the occasion, they left it all on the field. And I think we basically packed two hours of action into 42 minutes. So that's what we try to do. And somehow we keep asking the impossible of our crew and our cast and they always deliver. So we'll keep asking. Joe, it's a, it's an exciting show. And as a, as somebody who did not, know of the cloak and dagger lore knew of the characters but didn't really know them watching this show has been a revelation of sorts to me in terms of marvel television um it just gives you something different and it leans into the emotion so uh continued uh continued success on the show and uh, and thank you for joining us rafa any yeah. last thought? uh it was a great season really enjoy watching it uh really fun season to watch Thank you, guys. Um, it was yeah. great talking to you as well. If you need anything, let me know. It was a pleasure. Oh, absolutely. Right, same here. Same here. Pleasure absolutely. talking to Joe. <laughs> we, Ralph, we talked to, we talked to Joe for, for a little bit, got some of his thoughts. Uh, wh- wh- what did you take from uh, what you got about, uh, about, the, about the interview regarding uh, Cloak and Dagger Season 2? And I guess you can add some of your general thoughts on Season 2. So I guess answering your first question, it, it I think when you talk to somebody like that who is responsible for so much of the show and the direction of the show, really, it, it, it you really start to believe like, oh, wow, there is a lot that goes into production of a show in terms of what little directions, what little Easter eggs you put into the show and in terms of character development and the story's development. So I think that that's really cool. And especially when you think of shows specifically that are following a loose guideline. And so I'm talking about shows like that are built around, I guess you would say superheroes, sort of like those type of shows, the Marvel stuff, the DC comic stuff. Yeah. And, and then when you think of shows that are built, or movies built off of books like Harry Potter. And so you have to think about how these shows sort of do have to follow some kind of guideline. They're going to be different than a comic book, but at the same time, you want to showcase the connections and some of the storylines that were already explored initially for the first time when those comic books or whatever I read and when they first come out. So I I, I think that that's the really cool part, that you really have to figure it out. And I think talking to him, I've got a better understanding, like, oh, he really thought about this from the records in the store, you know, from the covers. And that's sort of why I asked those questions uh, to the video game reference. When you can include little details like that, and in a way, for me, like I told you off air, it really got me going when they had uh, Spider-Man as a Super Nintendo right. video game reference. So it, it's something that really makes you think about it, and it's really cool. I think like that for for me, that shows that you really care about the the direction of the story and where it's going. And it makes for a better show when you're interested. You could tell he was definitely interested in telling this story this season. And I think it came out really well. Yeah, so did I. I think one of the things that is so cool about about this show is this show has kind of figured out what it is relatively early and has continued to expound uh, uh, upon that. And 
I love what they did in the beginning of this season, starting with the whole Bridget Mayhem storyline, kind of start that off. And then we yeah. didn't really know who the villain was, right? It was just... Oh, I couldn't was, tell. <laughs> yeah, it was just... I mean, we talked about it off air. Yeah. I was like, when, when you asked me to watch it, and I watched the first few episodes, and I hadn't even... You had been far ahead than I was. Yeah. Uh, further ahead. You had been following week by week, and I sort of waited until like the show was in its seventh or eighth episode of that season to really start binging and yeah. i remember you telling me about despair and thinking and i thought he was a good guy just because i had only watched the first three episodes yeah or the first two episodes and i remember you going to me and saying oh do you know who the bad have you seen who the bad guy is in the, the villain i'm like no and you're like can you and like i guessed and you're like how'd you know i'm like well it's the only main character on the show. <laughs> i had a big enough speaking role that could possibly be the bad guy so yeah. i was sort of shocked when you when uh when it, it happened that way even though i guess based off of that it was like an educated guess i wouldn't have been able to tell based off of how his character acted the first few episodes Right. And it's it's just one of those things that, like, when I, I saw seeing it in real time and not knowing, I was like, oh, whoa, I didn't ex I wasn't expecting that. And then, of course, uh, Leah, uh, the, the character who was working at the uh, at the group, uh, the group sessions, uh, her being basically his henchman and then finding out why that was very interesting, too. Um, all that stuff was uh, very fascinating. And it was a, it was a, it was an interesting villain. Uh, because this dude suffers from migraine headaches, and the only way that he can alleviate those headaches is to prey on people's uh, uh, despair and and uh, depression and things of that nature. So seeing uh, both, I think, what was that episode? I think it was B-Sides, where both uh, Tyrone, uh, Tyrone in trying to find Tandy, and then Despair initially trying to convince him not to go after her. Um, that was interesting to see how that whole thing uh, play out and also to to see Tyrone fight through that and eventually find Tandy. And it, man, there's a there's like a lot of this a lot of this stuff in this season that I could have we could have been on with him for like another 10, 15 minutes to kind of discuss uh, some of the things because I was thinking of the whole sex trafficking angle. That was a huge part of what this uh, season was because you know at the end of every episode they posted the uh, the phone line and. They really attacked that. They attacked the heavy subject matter, and of course, the whole drug, uh, the drug dealing aspect um, in New Orleans too, with Tyrone dealing with the the gangsters and and and, and the young gentleman who at first uh, was kind of uh, rough to him, but he came around towards the end, and Tyrone kind of took control of uh, of that situation as well. I know one of the things that I really that I really took away from is now like season three, they're really going to go full on with the romance, which this is, this is why I asked them the question. I was like, these, these shows normally when the romance comes into play, it tends to change the show. And usually a lot of times not for the good. So I, I'm very interested to see how he tells that story. What did you, what did you think of his answer? I thought it was interesting. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it's going to happen. And yeah. I, I thought that was like, I mean, it's inevitable, and I feel like you have no choice but to, based <laughs> off of, like, the previous history of the, of the comic books and sort of their relationship. So, I, I wasn't shocked by his answer, but we're moving fast. He went from Avita to Tandy pretty quick. <laughs> so, I mean, it, they had no choice but to. 
Yeah. I do I feel like based off of the the character's history, but it's still it's it was inevitable. That's how I felt about it. Right. And, and sometimes you have to use plot devices like Avita having to once Auntie passed away yeah, that she becomes <laughs> Yeah, she she becomes the she becomes the next person who's uh kind of in charge of that dimension or the the spirits and the ancestors. Um, that part is interesting. Uh, shout out to Angela Davis who played Auntie Chantel. She was really good again this season. Yeah, she's um, one of my favorite characters on the show. Oh yeah, she's uh, she's. I know Mariano has said uh, in our season one recap that he really enjoyed her too. Um, maybe you have to get him back on at some point to discuss it. Um, anything else that you took from from our conversation with him? Well, I thought what was interesting was sort of the ending of the. Not the, of our conversation with him, but the ending of the season and sort of just what he alluded to that they needed to change the setting and need to change the scenery going into the next season, which I thought was interesting and I thought was good because in a way, you might laugh at this, but it yeah. felt that the show was going to turn into Static Shock, which was on WB-11 yeah. when we were Shout kids, remember? So the Bang Babies, what I remember about Static Shock was that there was this big uh, radiation explosion that gave Static Shock his powers yeah. in the cartoon the cartoon show. And all of the Bang Babies, they all got powers from this radiation explosion if they were near it. And I felt like... I, I, didn't, I don't want to say that I thought that they were just going to go that route, in, ju- in terms of just using villain, you can naturally just create villains who, like Andre DeShane, uh, you know, jumped into the river when yeah. when the blast happened at Roxxon Corporation yeah. and at that that drilling thing or whatever. And so uh, it would have been easy to just do that over and over again. Like you could just create villains who, oh, I was walking you know, across the street from the explosion. Oh, I would, you know, you could create so many villains from that. It would have just been Static Shock 2.0. So I'm excited to see what the characters turn into in the future season, which he, you know, he couldn't really explain a lot because obviously season three is probably in development or we'll see yeah. what happens. But they, it would have been cool to know more, like what, what type of villains are they going to face? But I think moving to New York opens that up and creates a lot of different possibilities in terms of enemies and villains yeah. that they're going to have to face in the next season. Right. Well, the, the last two minutes of the episode kind of, it vaguely showed us whoever this vil- this next villain is, is going to be really violent. And I think the other thing that I took out of the fact that he could not answer the uh, Marvel TV uh, crossover situation so one of the things that I've heard uh, rumors after scouring Reddit, like I always do, um, is the the idea of Cloak and Dagger kind of showing up in the Marvel Hulu series, The Runaways, or vice versa. Because um, in the comic books, Cloak and Dagger are kind of a part of the Runaways in a in a loose in a loose fitting way. So yeah, I think it's possible we may see something like that. Now, the Luke Cage references, the fact that Luke Cage, as we already know, has been canceled on Netflix, um, the fact that they go, they went back to that reference again makes me at least question it. So I'm very curious to see uh, if there's going to be any expansion or any expounding on, on that aspect of things. Well, as a, just as, this is as a question as somebody who doesn't know this type of stuff. Are they allowed to... I know he was on Netflix and those type of shows like Jessica Jones were on Netflix. Yeah. Can they, since they're all owned by Disney essentially because they're Marvel, can they all be on those like Freeform or whatever, Hulu? 
Does it matter? Well, see, I think this is a thing. Like, with the Netflix characters, I doubt it because it seems like Netflix has a hold on them for at least the next year or so. So I don't... This is why it made me wonder, like, why I referenced that again after referencing it um, in season one a couple of times because obviously Bridget came from New York and worked with... Uh, worked with... What's her, what's, what's her name? Misty. I, Misty, there we go. Misty Knight. I um, miss Misty. Misty is like my favorite. Yeah, she's a, she's a great character. Um, yeah, so she was working with uh, Misty Knight. So they referred to that. And of course, in episode nine, we see the Luke Cage reference in the newspaper again. So it's like, huh, it makes me wonder, like, what's going on here? So I, my guess is, uh, since those characters I, th- I don't think can be used, at least at this time, maybe I need to do a little bit more research. Uh, maybe after this call I will. Um, it seems like the most logical place to go with uh, Marvel television with this is uh, The Runaways, which is on Hulu. So that would be that would be interesting, to say the least, if, they, if they're attempting to, to kind of expand and do a crossover um, event or episode to kind of see those characters uh, mix in with each other. So I'm kind of, I would look forward to seeing, seeing that, uh, that universe kind of expand itself. So yeah, very, very interested. Uh, what, what was your favorite episode of the season? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I guess probably just because of how I, like how I mentioned in our conversation with Joe, the, uh, episode eight, the arcade one. Two player, yeah, yeah. I ha- that has to be my favorite. I just love the way that they used it, and sort of you could see like you know Tandy really had to go out of her way to help Tyrone and save him since he was so consumed with the game and didn't want to come back out and fight his fears and fight whatever he had to deal with. So that probably was my favorite episode, just because, A, I love the reference. The reference, as you've heard me like 300 times yeah. already on this podcast, <laughs> talk about how much I love the reference of a Super Nintendo video game. But I think also just, it really strengthened their bond together in how they fought. And it's, I mean, it wasn't the finality of the situation. They still had to fight despair. There was a lot left in terms of their issues with him and just... Uh, trying to beat him, but I thought it was just a really well done part of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to. to oh, mayhem! To... Did mayhem? She she formed like they also came together. Oh, yeah, was a big did. part in the episode. Mayhem yeah. and Bridget. So like that too. That there was, was a another lot question. happening in that episode. Uh, similar to episode eight of last year, um, where Tandy and Tyrone try to hatch their plan to. Uh, Tandy attack Roxanne and Tyrone to attack Connors. Um, there was a lot happening there. And in this episode, eight, you get the arcade game. You get Bridget and uh, Mayhem. You get Evita and Auntie and what happens in that situation as well. And uh, everything that comes in that episode. It was a it was a very packed episode. They did a lot. It was very action-packed. Really enjoyed it. Um, I'd go either that one or I would go with B-Sides. I thought B-Sides was an interesting look at at Andre the, as the villain, um, and also Tandy and Tyrone both kind of struggling with things um, as far as like everything happening with them and and the the depression angle and the different the different album covers like you talked about the different records that were being played and them going to that which was such a such a huge part of the season. Uh, I think you could go either way, but I thought this season, man, this season was was that was was very good. I, it's hard to improve on a show 
um, like this one, and I think that they achieved that. They did. They they made the story uh, much more grounded. I felt this season, and I thought overall it was a uh, it was it was a very good improvement on a very good close to season one. Like the last four or five episodes of season one were really good, and it continued on. Uh, con- continued on with this, this season. Uh, do you have any any like final thoughts on what you may want to see for season three, or or any just general shout outs to certain parts of this season that you enjoyed? Um. Well, I thought that just in general, the season I wasn't sure how it was gonna go after the first season. Like I thought the first season was good. It was really good and really entertaining. But the second season is you wonder are they just going to go through the same situations is are there, is there going to be like character development is there going to be story development in terms of the people around them around tandy and tyrone on the show and i felt like there was i mean the mayhem story was really interesting part of the season in terms of just telling that story and sort of that that you know she was a mayhem was a vigilante but after you know, fighting with herself, Bridget and Mayhem were sort of able to come together and find that middle ground where they worked together and uh, fought off those uh, people. You couldn't really see their faces, <laughs> or they had they had, well, they were like soldiers with masks on, but which I thought was like, I was like, why is this so dark? I can't see anything. <laughs> but then you know, another shout out I gotta give is the way that the uh, the fight against despair ended. That combo attack that Tandy and Tyrone pulled, that was amazing. Yeah. uh, Tyrone, uh, you know, let Tandy come through his, uh, you know, opening or whatever you call it, his cloak. And she, like, threw the uh, the the dagger at him. So I thought that was really cool um, and really fun. It was was very uh, Marvel Avengers-esque. Yeah, I yeah, like there was combo attacks. That's what it yeah. reminded me of. <laughs> <laughs> of Marvel versus Capcom, where you could do endless um, maneuvers uh, to, to to defeat your opponent. Um, I I thought for me, like you mentioned, the the fight with Despair um, throughout the episode in the season finale was really good. I really liked. I really liked both uh, Tyrone Tyrone having having to take on Tyrone and Tandy having to take on her father. Um, that was interesting ways into into looking into their psyche and them overcoming all of the stuff that we saw in season one, all of the the issues that both of them have been dealing with since season one. So it, it felt like a good close to what this story was, and uh, I really I really just felt like overall when you talk about trying to put together. Uh, put together a second season uh, was a very good effort and also liked um, I think Evita deserves a shout out uh, Auntie obviously deserves a shout out uh, like I have mentioned to Joe I would definitely want to see what Father Delgado is up to in season 3 um, he's an interesting character and they didn't they didn't give him a lot to do in this season but I thought his scenes with uh, Adina uh, played by Gloria Rubin, were really, really good. So I, I'm looking forward to some more, more meaty storylines with him. And overall, what can what can I say? It's a it's, it's a really good show, and I'm looking forward to see what they do going next. Uh, we'll find out how that whole relationship stuff is going to work out. As I said, it's it's interesting to see what happens when shows uh, choose to go that route. So going forward, that'll be very fascinating. Yeah, uh, we we may come back for an, an official review of the season if we get Jerome and uh, Mari on board in the future. But we'll put this cloak and dagger season to rest for the time being. 
Uh, Raphael, of course, thank you for joining me, bro. I appreciate it. Where can we follow you, sir? I'm on Twitter, NBA underscore trades. Uh, yeah, NBA trades. You know, I'm encyclopedia about NBA basketball history. That and also, uh, you know, I'm a writer. I also have my own personal profile on Twitter, Rafaelito C7. <laughs> I might as well start promoting that since that's where, like, I usually promote when I write stories. So, you know, um, that's there too. So follow me at both. Okay. Yeah, check him out, and and of course he's been he's been moonlighting on this podcast, and with this interview would not have happened without Ralph. So thank you, and I appreciate you okay, uh, helping okay. us out. With that. I'm just I'm a I'm a recurring character on this you, podcast. Recurring. Yes, you're a recurring character, and, of, and I'm contract status. <laughs> and for for the rest of our crew, you can follow Jerome Chang uh, at Black Dragon Roll. You can follow Nitsan at Nitz Blue on Twitter. And behind the glass, doing the producing, doing all the editing, the the tireless work of one Jay Christie, who has a podcast, Sorted History. You can follow him on Twitter at the Jay Christie. And finally, you can follow me on Twitter at AC Spotlight95. And of course our guest Joe Pekaski, before I forget, shout out to Joe Pekaski for joining the show. Appreciate him very much. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Pekaski. And this has been and, my- and thanks to Hannah. At uh, Marvel, right, Raph, who helped set this up? Um, yeah, sure. Hannah McDonald's. Yeah, she set this up at uh, Freeform slash Disney Marvel. Yeah. yeah. So really appreciate it. Yep. Yes, yes. Shout out to everybody who, who put this together. Uh, Marvel Cinematic University. We love taking steps and leaps going forward. We'll keep bringing the content. Far From Home is not too far away. Looking forward to talking to you in the meantime. Take care. Take care.